Harry pressed through the crowd until he found an empty compartment near the end of the train. He put his owl headwig inside first and then started to shove and heave his trunk toward the train door. When he tried to lift it up the steps, he could hardly raise one, and twice he dropped it painfully on his foot. Want a hand? It was one of the red-haired twins he'd followed through the barrier onto platform nine and three quarters. Yes, please, Harry panted. Oi, Fred, come here and help. With the twins' help, Harry's trunk was at last tucked away in the corner of the compartment. Thanks, said Harry, pushing his sweaty hair out of his eyes. What's that? said one of the twins suddenly, pointing at Harry's lightning scar. Blimey, said the other twin. Are you? He is, said the first twin. Aren't you? he added to Harry. What? said Harry. Harry Potter, chorused the twins. Oh, him, said Harry. I mean, yes, I am. The two boys gawked at him, and Harry felt himself turning red. You won't find that interaction between Harry and the Weasley twins in the movies. Cut for time, probably. Another reason to read the books, if you ask me. But in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter had difficulty hiding the fact that he was the boy who lived. And the biggest dead giveaway was the lightning bolt-shaped scar on his forehead. And even if you haven't read the books or seen the movies, you've probably seen a picture of Harry Potter with his trademark scar above his iconic glasses. His scar linked him to the legend surrounding him. The fabled story everyone in the wizarding world knew concerning his parents' tragic murder, his miraculous survival from the curse of death, and the demise of he who must not be named. And throughout the books, Harry rarely had to introduce himself. His scar did that for him. It communicated who he was, both to friends and foes alike. In a similar way, people recognized someone else by his scars. Whenever they saw his scars, they knew who he was instantly. After Easter, the resurrected Jesus was identified by the scars he had acquired from the crucifixion and Good Friday. Jesus, the one who was crucified, was proven to have survived his encounter with the curse of death by his scars. For many, Easter was experienced not only with an empty tomb, but with holy hands. In the Gospel of John, we find most of the disciples huddled together on the evening of Easter. And while you may have been crashing after a sugar rush from Easter candy or decompressing after hosting a family get-together last Easter evening, the disciples, on the other hand, were cowering in fear. Door shut, lights out, not a sound. They were hiding from the Jewish temple authorities, dreading that given what happened to their leader a couple of days ago, their fate would be the same if they were caught. And surrounded by darkness in more ways than one, 
the light of the world appears to them. Jesus came and proudly stood among them, John says. No announcement, no introduction. Jesus just simply appears and greets them saying, peace be with you. And in the darkest hour, in the pits of despair and hopelessness, the disciples experience Easter. And only the Prince of Peace could pull off an entrance like that. But there's a detail I want to focus on, something that Jesus did here this morning, something that is included in several of the resurrection appearances of Jesus, something that if John, but also the Gospel of Luke, didn't tell us, we'd probably assume that the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus didn't have. John says that after greeting the disciples, Jesus shows them his hands and his side. And upon inspection, the disciples recognize that they are seeing the Lord. The scars revealed who he was. The vestiges of Good Friday, the brands of execution, the evidence of the crucifixion on the glorified risen Lord's body. Jesus' scars helped reveal who he was after he rose from the dead. If we were asked to prove our identity, we may show our driver's license or our social security number. Jesus, on the other hand, has battle scars for his main means of communicating who he is. That he is the same one who was crucified on Golgotha. His scars were an indication that Jesus was not an imposter. He was the same person the disciples knew ever since they met him in Galilee. Otherwise, it would be pretty sus for someone else to be claiming to be the crucified Jesus. And only those my age and younger among us get that reference, by the way. The one who was crucified is now, without a doubt, the one standing before them. Perhaps there was a risk of the disciples not recognizing him after the resurrection were it not for the scars. That this glorified body had somehow been altered and more difficult to notice after Easter. Jesus is not shy about people noticing and examining his scars. He doesn't appear to hide them, but instead flaunts them. And in fact, Jesus welcomes his disciples to look at his hands inside, to see the location on his wrists where heavy iron seven to nine inch nails long were driven through him. And in Luke, to see their eye with their own eyes where a single nail was driven through his two feet near the Achilles tendon, quite the puncture to see. Jesus invites his followers to notice the gaping hole in his side, to see where the Roman soldier pierced his chest with a spear, to see the hole where blood and water flowed out of Jesus' then corpse. John is the only gospel to mention this happening at the crucifixion, so it makes sense that Jesus and John makes reference to it the disciples could see the chunk of flesh that was missing from Jesus' chest. But the disciples are not limited to sight. They could even touch the scars if they wanted to, to make physical contact with them, to run their fingers over them where a metal nail or spear impaled their Lord, 
to feel where he was pierced for our transgressions and the wounds by which we are healed. Jesus doesn't seem to care. In fact, later on, he encourages Thomas to do that if it will help him experience Easter and believe. Most of the disciples weren't there on Good Friday, but now they can come into contact with it afterwards. And imagine being one of the disciples, seeing and touching the scars, placing your hands into his holy hands. One would think that Jesus' glorified body, a body that is now believed to be perfected and made imperishable, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, and no longer subject to decay and corruption, would be free of such markings. We presume his scars to belong to his old human body, the one that is buried in Joseph's tomb. But the Gospels record a resurrected post-Easter Jesus bearing scars. A resurrected post-Easter Jesus with holes in his hands, feet, and side. I don't know about you, but when I think about the scars, I don't necessarily think of them as something that's preferable something that's good. I don't think of them as things I want to treasure or want. Scars remind me of injury and pain, shame, and maybe even suffering. Not something that I associate with the resurrection, not something that I connect with Easter. They sound like a defect or a blemish. They don't belong on the imperishable body of the risen Lord. But the gospel writers don't toss aside the fact that the Son of God's sacrifice on the cross is stamped onto his person, imprinted onto his body. This was not a trivial detail. This is not something they wanted to omit from their story of Jesus. It appears to be significant for Jesus and the witness of Easter for it to be included, and they felt to pass it along to Christians just like us. So I'm led to believe this is not by accident that Jesus has the scars. Jesus keeping his scars was deliberate. It was intentional. A choice, maybe. And we might assume that the Father and Holy Spirit would have removed the scars from the Son's eternal glorified body, but the scars appear to be a part of God's idea from the beginning. They are part of the story. They're part of the narrative and the design. And Jesus doesn't appear to be startled by them. He's not surprised by them. Jesus doesn't seem to be ashamed of them. Jesus doesn't try to hide or cover them. Jesus acknowledges them. They're the first thing he draws attention to when he greets his disciples. And it got me thinking, how do I think about the scars like Jesus did? How do I view his holy hands the way he does? What was and is Jesus trying to communicate with the scars now in the shadow of the cross? I say is because Jesus is still communicating something to us. By our best guesses, the sun's scars are permanent. They haven't gone away and they're not going away. This is to say that one day when we meet with Jesus face to face, we'll notice the scars just like the disciples did. 
and a new heaven and a new earth and in paradise in the presence of the son of god we too will see his hands brandished with holes his feet bearing the marks of the crucifixion his side still having a gaping hole in it his scars are not going away they are now a part of the son of god forever just as much as his human nature is and at least as far as we can tell on this side of heaven jesus will have scars in heaven I get the sense that like the disciples this morning, we are on the evening of Easter. Some of us more than others, we are surrounded by darkness. We are fearful of its potential to disturb us. We are uncertain of its future and what it holds for us. And it takes on different forms today than it did the disciples. Darkness today can be international wars droughts in our backyards, wildfires in our own state, death of loved ones, sickness, illness, injury. You can add to the list. And as we gather surrounded by darkness in the wake of Easter morning, just like the disciples did, the resurrected Jesus, though still scarred, appears in our midst. He is in our presence, though not bodily, but through the Holy Spirit, and unlike the disciples needing proof of Jesus' identity, perhaps the scars of Jesus preach something different to us generations later. And if you'll allow, I have two things that I'll share with you this morning, and they're very quick. My Lord has holy hands to tell a holy story. Robert Craig Knievel was born in the copper mining town of Buett, Montana. And as the story goes, he was busted for stealing hubcaps and taken to jail. And while in custody, the police nicknamed him Evil Knievel, a moniker that would later cement him into American folklore. Later in life, Robert Craig Evil Knievel became an American stunt performer and entertainer. And over the course of his career, he attempted more than 75 ramp-to-ramp -ramp motorcycle jumps. He earned fame and fortune by getting huge audiences to watch him roar his motorcycle up the ramp and fly over 10, 15, 20 vehicles parked side by side and hopefully come down the other ramp. And among Knievel's most notable feats were clearing 19 cars, sailing over 13 Mack trucks, and jumping 13 double-decker buses in London as well as a failed attempt to leap the Snake River Canyon in Idaho on a rocket-powered motorcycle. He died in November of, 20, of 2007, but he's remembered for his iconic showmanship skill and disdain for death. Performing stunts hundreds of times, Knievel repeatedly shattered bones as well as his bikes. And he also picked up a few scars along the way. And when he was forced to retire in 1980, he told reporters that he was nothing more than scar tissue and surgical steel. But during another interview, he showed the television host a number of scars and told the story behind each one. He said, this is the time that I jumped over 21 city buses by my mo with my motorcycle. Unfortunately, there were 23 buses lined up, and I didn't make it over the last two. Every scar had a story. 
There's a story behind the scars on Jesus' body. He could point to his wrists and tell you the story behind them. Jesus' holy hands are visual aids, memory cues, if you will. They help trigger the memory of the cross and assisting onlookers in retrieving that sacred event from the recesses of their minds. They were storytelling devices, a means of easily recalling and in a way rehearsing the divine love story that culminated with the son dying on the cross. Jesus' scars tell the story of God's love for us, that God's love found a way to overcome our sin problem. Scripture says that God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him in this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was love that motivated and propelled the Son of God to willingly sacrifice himself to justify humanity of our penalty to sin, to cleanse us of our sin nature and liberate us from sin's power. It was out of love that Jesus took the nails for us. It was because of love that Jesus took the consequences of our sin for us and died in our place. And this extraordinary love story has left a mark on the person of Jesus. Even after he acted upon it, his love for humanity, it has left a distinguishable, noticeable imprint on his now glorified body. And now every time and any time someone looks at the hands of the Son of God, it reminds them of what Jesus did and his love for the world. His holy hands communicate the story without the need of words. And all it takes is a quick glance at Jesus' holy hands. But maybe Jesus' scars were less to help the Son of God remember the story, but for us to remember the story, to aid us in remembering his suffering and sacrifice on the cross for us. So that every time we see the scars, we know without a shadow of a doubt that it is finished. Our future is bright. Our sin has been atoned for. The price has been paid. We are acquitted. Victory is secure. But maybe the risk is forgetting the price behind Easter. And while we rightfully celebrate the empty tomb, we must remember the reason behind why Jesus was in that tomb in the first place. While we live and dance and thrive in the light and hope of Easter, may we never forget what the Son of God went through on the dark Good Friday to allow us to do so. And so perhaps for eternity, we will see our Lord with holy hands and never forget that old, old story. While all other things will pass away, the story of how the Son of God redeemed us and sanctified us will never pass away. 
Maybe that's why John of Patmos' revelation of the future, he's given a vision of the throne room of heaven and glory, and then the scene, there's one seated on the throne, and he reveals a scroll that is sealed by seven seals. Only one is worthy of opening it, one who is said to have conquered. And it's not the rider on a white horse. That'll come later. Rather, wait for it. John of Patmos sees the one who is worthy is a lamb standing as though it had been slaughtered. It is the Lamb of God who is noticeably and visibly scarred from being sacrificed on the altar. He is worthy of taking the scroll and opening it. And John records the chambers of the throne room echoing with praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing Oh, how to be a part of that chorus. My Lord has holy hands to tell a holy story. But my Lord also has holy hands because he wholly knows what human suffering is. My Lord has holy hands, which means he wholly knows about human suffering. Edward Chilito was an English minister during the First World War. And whether by witnessing the horrors of warfare firsthand or imagining himself in those trenches, he penned this poem entitled Jesus of the Scars. I just want to read it for you real quick. If we have never sought, we seek thee now. Thine eyes burn bright through the dark are only stars. We must have sight of thorn pricks on thy brow. We must have thee, O Jesus of the Scars. The heavens frighten us, they are too calm. In all the universe we have no place. Our wounds are hurting us, where is the balm? O Lord Jesus, by thy scars we claim thy grace. If when the doors are shut, thou drawest near, only reveal those hands and that side of thine. We know today what wounds are, have no fear. Show us thy scars, we know the countersign. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds only God's wounds can speak. And not a god had, has wounds, but thou alone. Reverend, Reverend Shalito knew the importance of seeing a god with scars. And whether you're a soldier in the trenches of the First World War or someone struggling with a chronic illness or injury, someone with emotional trauma, someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one, someone stressed out at work, the scars of Jesus help us to remember what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, he, Jesus, who had become like us, his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus isn't emotionally detached from our pain because he is a God with wounds. He pulls up his sleeve, revealing the scars etched into his eternal skin and invites us to trace the lines that evil has carved into his flesh. To see how the same chronic, chaotic, chronic forces that still populate this world stung him as they do us. We have a God who knows what it feels like to be wounded, abused, abandoned, and forsaken. 
He understands and is able to comfort us in ways that no one else can. God experienced human pain. God endured human agony. God felt the pinnacle of human suffering. And the creator of the cosmos was willing to experience creaturely pain to the highest degree possible, including death itself. The wounds of Jesus speak of pain and triumph. Battle and victory, sorrow and joy. This is the tension of Easter because Good Friday is in the background. The empty tomb is still in the vicinity of the cross. And in the person of Jesus, in his holy hands, we see someone enter death and come out victoriously on the other side. No one has been able to do that until Jesus did. And now as we all Trace the lines of his suffering as we look upon the holes in his hands, feet, and side. We know the end of the story for these wounds. And they can give us courage and comfort and hope for the trials we may now face. The seasons of despair we might find ourselves in. The times of pain and suffering we either find ourselves in or inevitably will. His scars proclaim the greatest truth. That evil will not have the final word over us because the worst they could do to our Lord is leave measly scars on him. Only God's wounds can speak to our wounds. Our God's pain can speak to our pain. No other God has entered pain, death, and sorrow to break its chains for us. No other God loved us enough to suffer. No other God was powerful enough to save us. No other God can sympathize with our pain like our God can. What a solace that we can find peace and comfort from a scarred Jesus And because of that, God can and does suffer with us. Oh, what a friend we do have in Jesus. And so when you see the scars of Jesus right now, what do you see? Is it the story? Every scar tells one, and even Jesus' does. Do you need to remember the story today? Even though we're in the light of Easter, do you need to remember the story? And does it prompt you to worship? Maybe gratitude. Renewal or commitment, obedience, discipleship. When you see the scars, maybe today you just need to see them and let them wrap around you to comfort you during this time. I don't know what you're going through. And maybe the forces of darkness are around you right now. Can you look at the scars and see that the only worst thing that they left on you right now was they just left scars on our Lord and he right now is with you. He right now can comfort you. When you look at the scars... What do you see?